Welcome to another edition of Into the Foxhole. I am always in Will Fox, joined by my brother John. John, how are you? Doing well, Will. You know, can't complain. Can't complain. One of our listeners, Jake Efron, uh, texted the pod and said that the way our intros make it sound, it sounds like we only talk to each other during the actual podcast. I have not have made any contact with you since our last uh, last time on the pod. That is a fact. Yes, it's been a very awkward 48 hours. We live in the same place. So we really need to keep scheduling guests so we continue to talk to one another. It's good for us. Lucky for us, we have a high-profile guest all away from the best coast, Dylan Slack. Welcome to the pod. Hey, thanks for having me. It's awesome. Uh, what uh, some of our some of our listeners might remember, Dylan and I were a part of one of the most prestigious units in all of Division Three athletics, in all of NCAA athletics. I, I, I think maybe the prestigious unit. <laughs> yes, so much so that so much said. some would say, and some have gone as bold to say that it is truth, it is canon that the brand of Haverford College goalies is so incredibly strong. I've been saying it for a while, Dylan. We need to take it public. Wow. You know, we pa- we passed through wow. our Series A funding. We we need to we need to take wow. it public. Well, we went all the way from Series A to public. Uh, it was quite the come up, but you know, this is how these things happen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, someone would go as far as to say is D three Cannon, um, Haverford Men's Fundies. Exactly. And this is this episode, as all of our episodes, are always a big shout out to our fellow tenders out there everywhere. Um, but we're not here to talk about Division Three athletics, so we could certainly jab your ear off, John. Uh, Dylan, what are we going over on the pod today? We're going over Avatar The Last Airbender. Some might call it the best animated TV show. Others might call it the worst movie ever made. It was um, kind of a controversial topic, perhaps, in that sense. But um, in my opinion, And Dylan, I don't think I think both of your statements can be true in terms of best animated movie and worst actual movie. Hopefully, we will spend the time talking about M Night Shyamalan's uh, live action remake. We'll keep that talk to a minimum. But uh, John, were you as excited as I was when we were going to delve into this on the podcast? I mean, yeah, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Everybody, knows. water, earth, fire, air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe... Aang can save the world. It's, this is exciting. It's it's part of our childhood, I feel like, you know, and it's a really interesting kid show, you know, for, for what it was labeled as. Not, this is pretty much a standalone show on, uh, on Nickelodeon when we were kids. There's no other show like it, so it's very interesting to talk about. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, Dylan, we're going to take you back 2005. A young Dylan Slack. What is he doing at this period of time, and why does he get into Avatar? What was I doing in 2005? Um, let's see. I must have just been at the end of elementary school. I, I have to say that. Um, I, the first time I watched this, I wasn't actually um, that, that age. I, I think I actually watched it for the first time with some of my friends who were, were fans of it in high school. Oh, um, interesting. I, I think that's just kind of 
kind of goes to say that it's really an appealing show for people of all ages. and kind of deals with some, like, um, spittle deep here, some, like, interesting content, um, especially for, like, a young kid TV show. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, like, like that, we'll get into that. Exactly. I think like one of the things that struck me, obviously we'll get into it, but I was rewatching some of the first episode uh, of the pilot, I guess you could say, and it was crazy. There was this one scene where Katara, uh, the female, uh, I guess you could say the female lead, female, one of the female protagonists, was really letting into her brother, calling him sexist, misogynist, like talking about how he treats her poorly. And this is on the first episode of a children's television show, and it already is starting to deal with some pretty heady issues. So. I think that, like, you know, hearing about the fact of you, like, really first getting into it when uh, you were in high school, that's not, that doesn't surprise me because of these, like, topics that are covered on the show. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and the female lead in the, in the show, Katara, I actually just read that the show is meant to be, or the authors sort of claim that the show was told through their voice, which I, I didn't actually particularly pick up until I heard uh, so that's just sort of an interesting perspective to sort of take in as we as we go through this this breakdown, if you will. Exactly, full 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 deconstructing. We will dissect this show <laughs> like a frog in seventh grade biology. Uh, John, yeah. what do you have to say about the uh, about I guess the mature nature of the show? Not only talking about the female lead aspect and the role women play in the show, but I guess. Just seeing it as a mature show. You were seven years old at the time, six to seven years old at the time when it came out, and you must have also come upon this later in your life, like Dylan too. Yeah, I got. I mean, I, I, I as a kid, when I was six, obviously I was not watching the show. I feel like that's a little young when it first came out. I was six, but obviously, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade stuff like that. Throw this on, and I'd catch the occasional episode. I guess I wasn't really. Um, into it fully but i feel like this is a show where you watched as a kid but then when you the you grow up and you like watch the full thing and you get the full story because it does have a lot of adult themes that is not common in kid shows and i think i mean it's just an interesting whether it's like you said with the first episode or some of the later episodes because i mean it's it's kind of scary at points you know there's some scary stuff but i mean in the fourth episode of the series they touch on the mass genocide of the airbender (laughs) Like that, that is heady. Yeah, they got you have mass genocide, you know, you have battles, you have wars. I mean, it's a hundred year war. That's the whole the whole plot of this surrounds the hundred year war. They're going they're gonna be going in Nickelodeon in two thousand six, they're gonna be going back to back the backyardigans <laughs> into Avatar the Last Airbender talking about these heady subjects. That, that is crazy to think of this on Nickelodeon. You know, what What other TV show, what other TV show, like, that's, that's kind of told in this, like, fine TV show, uh, talks about how this whole population is just sort of, like, slaughtered. Like, there's some Spongebob scripting, but, yeah, as you said, like, mass genocide. It's sort of this crazy dynamic that the show sort of, sort of deals with, where it's, like, these lighthearted, funny moments uh, with, with yeah and i think that you're right in that it's like it is like no show out there and one of the things that i appreciate and you know we might touch on the slayer might not but i think the thing that i appreciate is that they do such a good, like, they obviously had to toe a fine line, but they do a, such a great job of conveying that kind of 
the darkness and I guess like you say the brutal aspects of kind of the society they're living in without any gratuitous sort of violence coming through in the animation which is obviously a fine line the animators and the creators had to kind of toe by saying we need to we need to talk about these subjects because they're obviously main plot points but we can't actually show any like violence really up close we can't show like gratuitous amounts of blood like there are stuff that would be traumatizing that we can't show on there and they find a way of making it just as emotional as if you saw something you know brutal or some graphic depiction of it which i think is like a masterful job yeah no it's definitely it's it's very interesting because i don't i don't know if you ever see blood throughout the show like i don't i don't know because i mean it's 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 the star wars trick where you have the main enemies are all in masks and they're all in like these full body suits. Ooh. So, I mean, it's, it's a common trick that people have used when they, when you have a kid show, they do it in the clone wars a lot. They do it in here where you can, hence like you can sort of kill these people in quotes because you can't see them die because they look the same as when they're alive as when they're dead. So it's, it's a very, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good usage of that. And then, like you said, I mean, it's just you, you see all the different themes that they have in the show from, like you said, like uh, female discrimination to genocide to war. I mean, it's it's adult and then it, and it and it's able to use its kid aspects about it to even like enhance that uh, like how adult it can be. Yeah. Episode three, Revenge of the Sith definitely takes on a different tone if you actually see Anakin killing <laughs> all the baby Jedis. Yeah, no, that's yeah, that's uh, that's a little darker. It's a little uh, darker. I don't, I don't think. I'm I'm more I'm more referencing though the the TV series because I mean, oh the Clone Wars the Clone Wars the TV show because if you ever watch it I mean fantastic series I'm sure that's going to be somewhere on the pod later but I mean uh, it's there uh, they show it's clone troopers versus droids and so you never see blood you don't see any actual like real death or anything like that because they just look like robots yeah yeah I definitely see that comparison. Yeah, I, I was thinking at first we were talking a little bit more about the main Star Wars movies. I do feel like they have the, the occasional, or it's kind of like the classic, like, severed arm Star Wars thing that, that they do, where they, uh, I feel like at various times, they, they, like, throw in, like, a gratuitous severed arm. So, so that is a little bit more graphic. But I definitely do see the parallel mm-hmm. um, with the Star Wars. But come on, if you've you got to choose a better, a more, a better animated TV show, you you got to go Avatar the last year. That day, Ooh. You know? Oh, that I see. That's controversial, at least to me. I mean, John heavily stands the Clone Wars, but I, don't worry, Dylan. I'm the, on your side. The way here. the way that I view the Clone Wars is, it is like a fine glass of wine that you have with the steak, and the steak being the movies. You know, you know, it, it makes the steak better. It makes it adds something. It adds fl- it adds flavor to it. As well as, you know, maybe you a little, maybe a little blue cheese crust. Also. Yes, exactly. You could say, you know, delicious on its own. But when you take it in reference to the movies, it just everything, all the flavors come together, you know, and, and it's and it's wonderful. But I mean, we, we can go into that later. My, my, my standing on the Clone Wars. But, you know, for now, for now, I think it's important that we I think I'll just go over quick synopsis for those listeners that have not seen avatar speak it plain child it's a pretty much it revolves around the young avatar ang and the avatar is this being that it's it's like a reincarnation of the past avatars that they can bend the four main what are they called elements elements yes of course and there are four elements you have air water fire earth Avatar is the only one that can bend them all, that can con- pretty much control their energies. And you start off in season in season one 
with Aang being frozen in an iceberg and being set free because he ran away from home to avoid the responsibilities of the Avatar. And then the rest of the series revolves around Aang learning his abilities as an Avatar, learning the four, all four of the bending abilities of the elements. And then along the way, he gathers his group of friends, including Katara, Sokka, his trusty steed, Appa. Yep, yep. Yep, 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 Appa, and uh, Momo, the flying monkey, as well as Toph in later seasons, and eventually the original enemy in Zuko becoming a part of the gang. Yeah, Team Avatar, as it's known. Yeah, and it, and it just follows simple structure of season one. He's learned because he's, he's he is an airbender, but season one he learns water, season two he learns earth, and season three he learns fire, all in order to fight the fire overlord who is a part of this 100 years war that is the backdrop of the entire show and another thing is uh another kind of like wrinkle in there is that ang has been frozen for the whole the entirety of the 100 year war yes which is some a different kind of wrinkle that we find out i think i believe at some point in season one if um, you learn it in the episode or you i'm pretty sure you learn it in the episodes where the they talk about the air nomads genocide Yes, unfortunately. Yes. Um, yeah, and it's just it's an interesting thing how it's. I mean, it's a it's a very very simple story. I I should say like uh, at a macro level, a simple story but told very well and one that's obviously very timeless. Talking about these four nations, uh, like you said, air, water, earth, and fire, trying to coexist in harmony. However, there is one that seeks to kind of shift the balance of power out of like you know tries to tip the scales, and that's the fire nation. Obviously, the aggressive Fire Nation. Uh, they're talked about as leading up to the Hundred Years' War, going through a, a period of prosperity and technological advancement. Um, and so that leads to, I guess, more kind of aspirations of um, global domination, which was actually spawned by uh, the Lord, is it Shizo or Sojin? Uh, by the Sojin. Fire Lord so Sozin. Sozin. Sozin, excuse me, who originally kicks off this war and is uh, taken over by, I believe, his son or grandson, uh, the Fire Lord Ozai, uh, who is the father of uh, the aforementioned Zuko. And it's just interesting how, Dylan, we are getting a quite literal geopolitical strife on a 10 year old's show. Yeah, yeah, no, um, yeah, that's, that's absolutely the case. Um, and I know, I know we've talked about these kind of bigger large issues but um, kind, of, kind of one thing fun that this show does is I, as I feel like the, it sort of flips between at times and sort of more like canon like episodes that include like real plot narrative plot sort of moving um, overtones um, the sort of things that are more like like rather than fun and as someone who likes to watch like animated TV shows like there, there's, there's, there's a show like Naruto just to make a little bit uh, of a comparison like you can look at these charts that sort of say like if episodes are like canon or, or not um or sort of just more like filler episodes but uh, i really like these tv shows because you can get sort of a taste uh as i talked about like a taste of these um sort of like lighthearted moments but uh sexy jutsu these sexy type jutsu tend to work better the stronger the opponent. That idiot! 
Using a jutsu like that in this situation? That might work on me, but there's no way that jutsu will work on such a godlike person! It worked! You may be the progenitor of chakra or whatever, but I'll bet you've never seen a jutsu like this! The history of Shinobi is this, you fool! The number one most unpredictable. Don't tell me that Naruto's pervy ninjutsu is going to save the world. Yeah, and I think like I think you're totally right in talking about like the canon versus filler model. Uh, as someone who has definitely white knuckled his way through many seemingly useless Shippuden episodes, um, that definitely can feel like the case where you're watching filler. But I feel like the nice thing about uh, Avatar is that, you know, 60 episodes, still a fairly long series, but succinct enough that even all the filler episodes, you feel like there are, like you said, parts of skills that Aang is gaining or more wrinkles in the characters that are kind of uh, coming through. Whereas I feel like in Shippuden, where I would watch some of the seasons because it's so long, there were filler episodes that did quite literally feel like, even if they weren't, not only did they not uh, drive the plot forward, but it didn't seem like they were too integral in character development. This is my kind of like critical take on Shippuden. I love Naruto. Naruto was a lot of fun. Like, I really did enjoy the series. Uh, so this is me kind of taking a critic's eye. But I feel like this is also to highlight what I love about Avatar, which is, like I said, the filler episodes still do a great job of kind of pushing forward character development, even when the plot it seems to stagnate. So, uh, and obviously, besides the plot, the characters are so incredibly strong. Like we already talked about uh, Katara and talking about Sokka. My favorite character is Toph, uh, who interestingly enough has a lot in common with Katara, just talking about how they are kind of subverting the natural female roles in what seems like a typically patriarchal society. Uh, what do, can you speak about the characters, John, and what you think about like character development in, 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 in this be beautifully woven story? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it's like you said, like you said earlier, it started off with the whole Katara Sokka relationship, mm -hmm. where it's like, I, Katara's the alpha, yeah. Sokka's the beta. Like, I mean, it's just it's it's it really turns it on its side, and then Great I mean, A beta, Sokka. Great A beta. I mean, and then you have Toph, who is, I don't know, she's she's like Katara in a way, but she's also like Aang. I mean, she I mean, she's a twelve year old. She's she's a kid, but she's also very strong. And this is shown because there's an episode, I believe it's in either late season two or in season three, where they go to a play about them. And it's sort of like the writers little have a satire. I remember that. I remember a little that, satire yeah. on one of them. And Toph, who is a 12-year-old, like, blind, like, earthbending prodigy girl, is portrayed by this, like, massive, like, 30-year-old, like, dude. Like, it's, like, like, like super low-toned dude. And, like, <laughs> and it just, like, speaks to her. She's very different. Um, and then me, honestly, what really sticks out for this sh this show, I mean, is the, uh, really the secondary plot I always really liked with uh, Zuko and his uncle Iroh. Because a little backstory for those that don't know, Zuko is banished by his own father. What a dick. <laughs> for, and he's banished to, like, and in season one, he has to try and capture Aang in order to, like, finally win favor back with his father. He doesn't, so his father tries to then, like, put him in jail. Zuko's got a lot of issues, but, I mean, and I just really like their 
character development throughout the show because you have Iroh, who's this like looks like an aloof old man, but he's actually secretly like one of the most powerful benders in the world. Why is like, this dude just talking about tea all the time? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I mean, he's like he's tea in the spirits, and this dude can just like whenever he wants to, he just co- goes in and he just like goes ham. Like he can just take out people left and right. Oh yeah, and he just turns out he belongs to this like order of the phoenix where he, <laughs> of these guys. Oh yeah, we actually actually belong to this like super cool. Like we got the we got our own cool like get ups that we just like protect the we protect the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Uh, the second it is. It's interesting to, it's like kind of a weird characterization. Not that, like, it's tough to characterize it, but to characterize it as a secondary plot because it's true. It does at times feel like separate from Team Avatar, mm-hmm. um, but they very much are all converging, which I think they do a great job of when Iro and Zuko are more separate from Team Avatar. Uh, keeping that storyline moving along and making it just as interesting. And I mean, the true, like, the way to make a great villain, in my perspective, is to give him grounding and give him actual like reasons for the things that they do. They can't just be evil for the sake of being evil. They have to have some sort of motivation. And early season and early show Zuko exactly follows that archetype, where you get the backstory, you get the story of him actually showing sympathy for the other nations and for the Fire Nation and for... You know, that is what led to his kind of distancing from his father, what led to the ultimate showdown that gave him the scar. It's, you need, like, Thanos wouldn't be a great villain in the Marvel movies if he didn't have, like, a justification for what he was doing. Now, granted, he took that justification to evil lengths and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, listening to his arguments, you're like, okay, I understand. This has grounding. It's the same way with Zuko in the early seasons talking about how, why he is hunting down the Avatar so mercilessly and why he is like so bent on this one goal that he even at one point frees the Avatar in season one because that was Admiral Zhao was going to capture the Avatar and bring it back to Ozai and not Zuko. So he, it even underscores how all he's doing this for is so he can regain his father's, he just wants his father's respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I just got to, people about my boy Iroh. His nickname? Dragon of the West. Like, Wow. Come on. Like, do you, can you top that? I don't think so, you know? That's pretty baller. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh... Um, I kind of love the, I kind of love the full circle sort of trajectory that happens with this I think that's a really nice point, actually, about how he, like, yeah, just thinking about that, like, I think it's really nice idea, like, um, how you sort of voice that, like, uh, for these villains, it, it is really necessary to have sort of, like, a meditation. Um, and, and the fact that he's able to, like, overcome that um, and, like, uh, eventually do something better is, like, a little, um, it, it definitely adds to, like, the sort of, you know, Which is why that secondary plot, as John kind of puts it, is so interesting to follow that interplay and understanding both characters' motivations and kind of, watching them advance it. And it is just so fun. Like you'll see them, you'll see team avatar and team Zuko away for so long. Then they'll cross paths, cross paths, and then they'll be away for a little bit longer. And I think they do a great job of teasing it, giving you at moments what you want, but then also taking it away so you can develop those characters more on their own. So it's not constant conflict. Uh, Like you said, Dylan, you could call it at some points filler, but they do a great job of weaving the stories. So it's not too much saturation of like, battle, 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 but just enough so that you want more and you kind of get satisfied with what you have. 
Yeah. Also, can we just talk about how like Zuko has to be the inspiration for Kylo Ren? Like, I mean, I mean, like, like he's he's like the emo bad guy who's secretly good. Like, I mean, like with like good intentions. Actually, I mean, a little reverse on the whole father thing, but I mean, outside of that, like they're pretty much one of the same. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, but like Kylo Ren doesn't have a full. I, I don't know. Like, he, like Kylo Ren is never really part of the gang. You've seen the um, the undercover boss SNL episode of, <laughs> yeah, uh, with cool. Kylo Ren. I mean, that's like the classic example <laughs> yeah. of him just being a complete creep. <laughs> Kylo Ren is awesome. <laughs> um, he has an eight pack. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and like I said, early on, I can't remember at what point it is in the first season, but you get that backstory of Zuko, uh, of what leads to him getting banished, him kind of rebelling against his father. And the whole reason why he kind of butted heads with his dad was because he, the, his dad was kind of planning some military positions and his dad was just sending like a wave of uh, fire nation soldiers to the front lines, knowing they were going to get slaughtered. I think essentially as a distraction and Zuko spoke up, he said, uh, all of our like citizens lives should be cherished. Uh, this isn't cool. Um, and that just, and that's what led to the banishment, which led to the obsession with catching the avatar that just gives you such a great backing and it doesn't make you root for him at that point, but it plants the seed. And this is an early seed that is very important because, you know, come season two, late season two and season three, he's going to be on our side. You're, you're going to be rooting for him. And it's these moments like that, that lay the groundwork for, what we call that 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 face that hero turn that he goes into at the end of the show, yeah. which is like something that's something that TV shows now screw up all the time that are that are made for adult audiences. And this oh Game of Thrones, can we can we talk about Jamie and how season eight screwed up his his sort of redemption story? I feel like there's a parallel to be found there. A hundred percent. Why I do? They didn't. They. It's like they couldn't commit with the bad guy who you want to like who turns good like they they couldn't commit with that character yeah, yeah, yeah. it didn't seem like i'm sure from their show the showrunners point of view they were just like oh well of course jamie's always going to go back to like this makes sense he's always going to go back to um uh cersei or whatever mm-hmm. um but no it did that's a great point dylan it's that like it made that is an example of waffling or it seems like indecision or at the very least just a poor job of building up to that decision yeah they like they teased it too much on like I mean, they like they made it seem like oh he's gonna turn good he's gonna turn good and then it just ends with like oh he kind he like because it's not even like a big like I mean it's kind of climactic but like for like that episode that it's happening where everybody's dying left and right it's sort of just like oh 
So he oh, just dies with Cersei. It just feels so unnatural to me. Like yeah. maybe maybe the showrunners died, but like I, I felt like there was such like an there's such it, it, it was such like a natural progression for the first few seasons, and then like slowly, slowly becoming a more decent person, and then like the the kind of turnaround, like okay, yeah, maybe the revelatory thing is that he's actually still always like loyal to his family, but like it almost doesn't. It, it almost doesn't like feel right. Like it, it, it makes me feel like uncomfortable. Like even like sort of like thinking about it. Like it doesn't seem like the correct conclusion, and like the conclusion that would happen if you had spent like that much time, like slowly feeling this different way. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, totally. I'm gonna yeah. That, 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 the um, the point that um, yeah, it's unnatural. Yeah. So, yeah. Really, and shows cancer is up is a, is a very real thing. Yeah. So I would. I would. I mean. I think that's highlighted by the end. Well, get back to the avatar but at the end of season seven you have the scene where like cersei takes the iron throne and, and then jamie leaves jamie leaves and like so like what like he, so he makes the decision so then like when he does that it's just like oh he's the king slayer like oh he's gonna like do it's the king slayer he's gonna do his king slaying things queen slayer now but like then he's just like in the end he's just like i like i'm with you like what like come on like who, who are you fooling jamie yeah, and like I, I feel like they did like to quote Dwight Schrute, "Keep it simple, stupid kiss." Michael says it every time, breaks my heart every time. <laughs> but like at some point, like the the showrunner should have just kept it simple and like gone with the simple storyline there. And I think in their desire to be kind of like one step ahead of the audience, uh, they botched what could have been a good story. And if anyone starts talking about his. Uh, angle with uh, Brienne of Tarth, I am going to start like throwing hands because that just gets me riled up more than anything. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Okay, let's let's get Game it. of Thrones season eight is another time. <sighs> I just another got re- time. I just got really hot. That 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 is episode one hundred of the podcast. Is is, is Game of Thrones, <laughs> it's, it's, and there are going to be some. We are not going to hold back. That's a like that's like a two party right there. That's I mean, a two party. I mean, I mean, a good have, part have, and a bad that, part. One through seven and <laughs> season eight, you know. Um, but uh, no, nah, I mean, I don't know. Just the different plots and characters, like we we're talking about throughout Avatar, they're very likable, especially these guys. I mean, except you gotta hate Zuko's sister. What's her name again? Azula. Azula. Azula sucks. She sucks. She. I mean, like you gotta give it to her. She's badass. I mean, she, 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 I mean, she just pantses Zuko all the time, pretty much. <laughs> but I mean, uh, <laughs> she really, really just rubs, you know, salt in the wound by like just like highlighting how much more of a favorite she is. And it didn't need to be, but like it's pretty obvious that like father's got a favorite. But I mean, daddy's uh, little girl. But yeah, I mean, just the, the whole characters—they're easy to get behind. The show really makes it even, and it, and it's interesting because like as a kid, it's easy to follow along. So it's like, oh, it's good versus bad, you know, easy, simple like that. But then you come down to it when you look at it older, you're like, oh, there's actually like really good character development here. And like, I'm learning more about these characters and you see things that you would never notice as a kid. It's not just like, oh, Fire Nation are douchebags and everybody else is just trying to beat them. There's, there's more to it. Exactly. And with enough twists and turns that make it more nuanced, uh, definitely. As our discussion of how easy it is to botch a good, like, Bad guy turning good uh, is easy to botch as shown by Game of Thrones. Um, they they they're doing a masterful job with all these twists and turns while keeping it easy for their target audience, that yeah. like eight through fifteen audience to watch. Yeah, exactly. It's it's they do. Zuko's character coming in. Like, where did I kind of forget where he ends up? 
where where Zuko ends up. Yeah, does he like take over the Fire Nation? Is that right? Yeah, so he ends up becoming. So in the the final episode is Aang takes away Ozai's powers, and then Zuko steps in and becomes the new Fire Lord. Yeah, solid, solid, hopeful Yeah, because I do believe I do believe the because it's Aang versus Ozai, and I believe it's Zuko versus Azula. Yes, and the, Zuko uh, finally. Wins and they capture and they they capture Zula. They probably throw her ass in jail and, and that's fire like, jail, you know, baby. Fire jail, which is like throughout the series really easy to escape from. Like I mean, I mean, like, I mean like, <laughs> there are so many like, prison escapes. Like this, 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 this show. Like I mean, you have you have Aang escape and I think he escapes probably who who knows how many times. And then you have and um the beginning of season two you have uh, Azula like trick tricking. Zuko and Iroh to get onto the ship to go back to the higher, uh, Fire Nation, and as they get on the ship, they escape. They escape because one of the guys goes because they're like, "Oh, Azula goes like, oh, we're going back home," and the captain of the ship is like, "To home where we take the prisoners." And it's just like, "What, dude? Like, big mistake." Escapes are very easy apparently in the Fire Nation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a common trend. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. I, th- I think it is kind of like uh, as much as we love the show it is kind of funny to point out those those things uh, yeah. I enjoy <laughs> how easy people get away thinking of them getting away at the end of the second season uh, which is arguably it, uh, one thing I was recapping that really shocked me when I was looking back at the plots was how they ended the second season on such a low note this was after Aang had gotten all of his powers sucked out and basically almost dying and it took uh it took Katara and her magic water to revive him and restore him back to health though he didn't have his avatar powers again uh it's just crazy how they left that second season on such a cliffhanger and a negative cliffhanger at that like almost like you know almost infinity war level of uh, uh of, a, of a negative ending yeah, I mean, season two is definitely Infinity War ish. You know, I mean, you got you have it does not look good for Team Good Guys at the end of season two, to <laughs> say the least. It, it is the low point. I mean, Aang destroys a whole line of what appears to be a whole line of avatars. I mean, he he destroys the regeneration cycle from what we've learned, and I mean, it's 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 like imagine watching that as a kid. Wow. Like, and you gotta wait for nine character. months. You know the guy that I was like for Halloween this year. <laughs> like, like, yeah, he died. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Dylan, do you think that like it all goes back to like? The, yeah. yeah, go on, go on. Yeah, it all goes back to like the the rewatchability aspect of the TV show for me. I'm sort of like the time of because like maybe I didn't appreciate those things, or maybe I did because I watched it in high school, but I don't think I would appreciate it. All those moments when I was like in fifth grade, it would have meant something a little bit different. Yeah, I would have been like, oh, this is like water bending, and that's like kind of cool. Like maybe I can do that with my friends at lunchtime. But uh, <laughs> yeah, this is actually like this is actually a legitimate like a cool rewatchable TV TV series, like sort of because of these season two clips And also the fire bending is pretty cool and stuff like that. As well. Yeah. Oh yeah, and and lightning bending. 
Yeah, that's like sort of, that's such a cheat code. I, another thing I'd like pointing out is whenever someone does something cool, it's just like, oh, it looks like they invented a new form of bending. Like there's a scene where Toph uh, is like encased in this metal, uh, like she's encased in this metal prison and she learns what metal bending is because it turns out there are pieces of earth in the metal. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> which is just like, obviously. It's like, oh, why didn't we think of this earlier? The rest of the core, and not to, not to sort of jump ahead here, we're going to talk about that. But um, the, the bone bending, like, it, there's all these all these sorts of things. I don't know, if, did you guys watch through the Legend of Korra? No, but I want to know what bone bending is. Yeah, so you can just sort of, like, um, I don't know if it's bone bending, no, blood bending, blood bending. Um, even better, even better. Okay, so this show is this show's on Nick, right? It's Nickelodeon show. Yeah, yeah. You can control people because you can like bend their blood. It's a, it's a it's a whole sort of um, trajectory in the, in that TV show, which is really worth a watch if, if you're looking for some new avatar content. But uh, yeah, so, so that's all part of the show. And there's all these sort of extensive other forms of bending, like like brought up. But this is one that's considered like particularly evil. Oh. Wow! First off, first off, yeah, that's pretty crazy. But I think this this asks this this begins to beg the question, the classic Avatar question of: Is there semen (laughs) bending? No, 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 not the question. Different question. Different question. Okay, but uh, no, it's which bending is the most powerful, and which bending would you be? Four like base ones. Yeah, I mean, because I well. So for the blood bending, is that part of water bending, or can any bender do it? I think it's a sub-skill in waterbending. I just actually looked at that. That's, that's, I assume it's a part of waterbending, because it all comes, I, unless Cora goes more into it, it all comes down to the basic four ones. Air, uh-huh. water. Okay. Okay. Is, is, wait, is bloodbending from waterbending, or is this, like, are there bloodbenders out there? <laughs> like, is the fifth thing blood? <laughs> like, but, uh, I mean, I, I, I just, I, I always, I struggle with this because, you know, I, I feel like I'm a waterbender, but I feel like the most powerful has, I mean, I think it's, it's air. Are you a Cyndaquil or are you a Chicharito? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or what's, what's the, well, nobody's a Chicharito. What's I mean, the, what's the, what's the, is that what the leaf? Yeah, know, I assume, the, I think. The Owen or whatever. Yeah. No, it is, it is the eternal question. What Pokemon do you choose? What bending do you choose? Uh, what did you say you thought you were? I mean, I'm just thinking the most powerful has to be air. I'm thinking it is. I don't know. I, I mean, my maybe argument, you're just biased because the only avatar we've watched is an airbender. Yeah, maybe, maybe, and he's he is the only airbender left. So R.I.P. The air nomads. Yeah, but uh, I just feel like like air. You can combat anything. Like fire has to be like it's sad, but it has to be weakest. I mean. You have a literally, I mean, you just have another ability that just cancels you out, like water. And I, I don't know. That's my opinion. But, I mean, I'd love to hear your guys' takes on what you think the strongest ability is. Um, I think strongest ability and ability that I would want are two different questions. Yeah. I, I'm just going to answer ability that I would want uh, simply. Uh, I would definitely go with earthbending uh just simply because one Toph is one of my favorite characters she was a character who i remember watching it on the first watch through uh when i was about like you know 10-ish years old or whatnot i remember watching her and thinking like wow this is this is my favorite character i enjoy it and i love like the power that she can wield with the earthbending i think it is i also think the city of Bossing Se is so cool how it's like essentially the big metropolis and it's in the earth 
uh, kingdom. So that, well, the Earth Kingdom is the big kingdom. Yeah, I know. Obviously, like it's got a lot of land, and obviously <laughs> that's the whole thing. That's yeah. the whole thing. Um, but that is that is the one that I would choose. Definitely a personal favorite. Not really backed up by any science or even too much logic, but uh, that was what kind of bender I would be. If you're an airbender, could you just like I, I don't know if this is talked about at all? Could you just airbend the people, the air out of people's lungs and stuff like that? Whoa, whoa! <laughs> Speaking that it was a kid show, I'm gonna say no. <laughs> but I feel like I feel like realistically. You could just, you know, you suck it out. But then you could say the same for water and the fluids. Blood. You know, I mean, you just like yoink all that fluid out. But you want I mean, it? You yoink it. Yoink it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a yoinking motion. It's, it's, it's yoink. Yoink. You take back. Uh, listeners, I know this isn't a visual medium, but John was. He was making like a C with his hand. Make a C, and it's like it's like you know when you got like the dog barking with your hand, you know you know. In one fluid motion, he does one bark backwards, says yoink. Yeah, it's a it's a yoink. Like because oh they think they got yoink, and like no, like you you take it out. It's the yoink is a surprise. We'll have to include that. We'll have to include a video of John doing this on the Patreon. Here's another question. I don't know if this is this is related to that the bending. Obviously, you take the 10,000 rats and the three bears. Um, well, the real question, is it a full moon? I mean, I exactly. Mean, uh, is there an eclipse? Is there, is there a, a comet coming by? Like, like, these are important questions. But I mean, generally, you, I feel like if it's in, a, in an all-out battle, mm, I think Fire Nation's going down. F- uh, I don't know. I feel like if it's 50 of them, Fire Nation's going down first, then Earth. There's so many earthbenders, you think that they'd be more powerful. And I think it's a battle versus air and water. Wow. And then I think, I mean, I, I, I said it, I think the most powerful is air, so I think air ends up winning. I was just thinking about, like, how to even the playing fields and thinking, like, what surface they would be on. And then I was reminded that at season two, you find out that Toph can't do anything on sand, <laughs> which is like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's sand. <laughs> yeah, but, like. What? It's, gla- it's the glass bender, you know? Ah, <laughs> uh, I forgot. It's the glass bender. Yeah, he's he, he's in mom's attic or whatever, you know? <laughs> we don't really talk about him. Oh, the, wait, like... The what, glass bender, he, he's smoking. The joke is he's smoking <laughs> yeah, weed. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool, John. Um, 50-50-50-50. I think that I would take... I think the key thing is that... Uh, Airbenders have such a, they have like all three dimensions to work with because they can, you know, they can air scoot, they can levitate and stuff yeah, like that. Exactly. They can use the air to kind of get in that third dimension. So I think that inherently gives them a an advantage on the battlefield. And I think that would, I think, I think you're right. I think that would lead to a victory in their favor. Uh, Dylan, are you leaning that way? Yeah, I definitely see that. Another aspect I'm considering is like you could sort of work together the best. Um, oh, okay, yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe all the nations can sort of work together to, to some degree, but for some reason, I, I do remember a lot of moments of, like, in particular, of, like, the, the, I, I guess there's not really that many airbenders left. <laughs> it's kind of a no point. But um, in, in particular, like, uh, earthbenders, like, having some sort of uh, collective power together. So I think that, that could, could potentially lead to something, something useful there. Um, I, I don't know. 
kind of perplexed by the question as well. I do think it would matter a lot, like, in the problem setting, like, you know, sort of where they are. Um, I, I could see, I could see Earthbenders um, potentially squeezing this one out if they were maybe, like, on land by a record or something like that, mm-hmm. just given their sort of collective prowess. We have to assume that they're on some sort of, uh, like, Super Smash Brothers Pokemon Stadium, like... Yeah. Like, uh, level where it's constantly changing terrains. Yeah, it has to be. And I think, well, the, the reason behind my answer is my, my, I believe that the least populous, the least, like, amount of people are airbenders and waterbenders. Sure. And yeah. the most amount are earth and fire. I believe that's, I, I, that's not canon. I'm not saying it's canon. No, it has I, canon. From, from, from my opinion of what's happening. And I think it is because it has to, and it's all about balance. And yeah. so I think that having an equal amount of them would unbalance it. And so that's why I think that the, the airbenders are taken, number one. But you also do have to assume that airbenders are nomads. So how they are in a team battle. Ooh, team setting. It's a team setting. I think yeah. I think you made the good point of bringing up the team setting because the earthbenders, they're always together. They're always hanging out. They're, yeah. they're buddies. So they may have a little more chemistry than the airbenders. So I think it's all about balance. And you have to assume that they'd all just die. I think that's all the only reasonable conclusion we can come to. Every single person would die. They all die. Nobody lives. <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's like you have the, the last like you have four people, one from each nation, all dying at the same time to end the battle. Like it, I think that's I think that's how it would go. It's, it's literal. It's like the uh, it's like to borrow another office reference. It's like the Mexican standoff in the office when they're all holding <laughs> yeah. like the two guns. <laughs> guns. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I was also just reminded of when Dylan was talking about like uh, all like the working together. I was thinking of, the, I can't remember what episode or even what context the scene is, but some guy in the Avatar series is trying to like unlock some secret. And he says, we have to mix together all the elements, earth, it's fire, <laughs> water, wind, and it's just mud that he makes. Yeah, no, that's that's season two, episode one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're just trying to unlock they're, some secret. And it's they're just they're mud. trying to unlock Aang's avatar state. And uh, so he's just like, how do I do it? Put all of them into one, you know? <laughs> exactly. Mud. <laughs> it's just mud. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Uh, and I think that season two has a lot of... Uh... Yeah, what were you saying, Dylan? I'm just going to pose another question, but... Uh, sure. You, we, no, 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 no. I, we are all ears. We are all ears, because the thing is that... This, do you think, like, uh, do you think the, the current list of elements is, like, is like a comprehensive list? Like, do you think, um, you think there could potentially be any other, like, types of bending? I, I know that they're not described in, like, the universe. Maybe there's mm-hmm. these sort of sub-bending points. What would be, the, what would be the fifth bending? We're talking plutonium benders. <laughs> Champion bending, yeah, something along those lines, yeah. Fifth bending, mm. unstable isotope bending, exactly. <laughs> I think, I think nuclear bending. I was gonna say lava bending, lava bending. I, I feel like that's kind of fire, but it's also not. Lava, lava is different, you know. Yeah, um, but I don't know where you get the lava from. That that's the only issue with it. Before Dylan brought up yeah. gun bending, I was thinking of people bending. But that's just like you're just able to like manipulate people. Wait, like, it's I just mean, like a smooth talker. No. <laughs> like you just like you just have a real thing. Some specialized skill of earth bending. What is people uh, bending? Yeah. Uh, lava bending. Oh, lava bending. bending. Oh. Yeah. Because it's just Crazy. hot earth. <laughs> 
So, see, but that falls under Earth, then, I guess. That They really, you know, these these, these show writers, they really had all their bases. That's it. Just they these had, four things, that's it. Anything, <laughs> anything, anything that you say is not one of these, bam, subsection of one of these. I guess, like, like space bending, if you could bend space, you know, but I don't know how you get there. Go well, on. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> if you remove all the air particles, then you just have space. Yeah. It's like outer space. Like you just use, you know, you know, you, you, you somehow summon the heavens. You know, my jaw could not be farther <laughs> away from my upper lip. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that has to be one in consideration. I think because I mean, like you said, these writers know what they're talking about. They got everything, they have in, everything in the atmosphere covered. covered. <laughs> you can't you can't put it under a subset. There's always room. Earth, think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Wow, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, but I don't know. Actually, how, how would you use it? How would you use just the vacuum of space? I guess I guess it's a vacuum. You could like just like put it on people and then they just die. I'm I'm out of it right now. This is <laughs> this 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 is blowing my mind right now. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear some opinions on what space bending would entail. I kind of think it's a draft application of like of, of air bending, right? Like, yeah, that's it. I feel yeah. like you could definitely get it to be a subset of airbending, but I don't, I don't know. The abs- How exactly would that then, you mean? Like the absence of airbending is space? I don't know, man. Oh, that's true. I guess, it, I mean, there's no option. Is there, are there, okay, guys, everyone, are you guys all sitting down for this? Because yeah. I'm about to blow your friggin' nips off. <laughs> <laughs> Carbon dioxide? Or? No, time bending. Oh, so Doctor Who. <laughs> Sure. Whatever. <laughs> no, Doctor Strange. I mean, Doctor Strange. Yeah. I, I think. I think the natural next progression would be time bending, which seems like a cheat code. Damn. Maybe honestly, maybe they have their bases covered. Maybe it's just a subspecialty of earth bending, where they just like create large enough objects that they sort of warp space time and like. That affects time. Like, yeah. so maybe they have their bases covered even. Yeah, I watched I watched Zack and Cody as a kid or whatever, where you, you just reverse the earth or whatever. I'm you mean Superman? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, feel like I forget what show it was in, but there's a show where they reverse it. You know, you, know, you go back in time, yeah. so that's how time works. Listeners, you're yeah. watching something magical here. We might have to call. We have to summon the spirit of Carl Sagan right now. This is a this is a beautiful discussion of time space and Dylan Dylan talking about the fact that earthbending could create such a large object that induces a change of gravitational poles, which bends space time. I don't think we have enough minutes in the day to go yeah. over the implications of Earth time bending. That's some Matt McConaughey shit. Right That's some Matt. That is some time is a flat circle shit right there. Yeah, as, as a sort of burgeoning academic here, someone who's uh, in the academic circles, I, I can just theorize all day for you guys. <laughs> I can pretty much rationalize anything. Anything that you want. Anything? Oh, that's a challenge. Yeah. Dylan, I think it was your point. You were the first one to bring up in our friend group how awesome it must have been to be an 18th century English philosopher. Yeah, just sit in your bathtub and just make broad commentary about nature. Just establish them as universal truth. Like, I wish I wish that was still like that in like you said, you're in your bath with a snifter of brandy thinking, today I think I'm going to prove God. <laughs> <laughs> you 
just, <laughs> yeah. you just you're, you're in like the common room with like other intellectuals, and you just you just spit your truth, you know. And no one was yucking anyone's yum back yeah. then. So you just ask another question, and you go deeper. You know? Exactly. And if they did, like feuds back then were legendary, like the Leibniz versus a Newton feud, <laughs> legendary. Oh. Blood feuds. That, that, yeah. Shout out to our Leibniz out there. Yeah. Let's go. Speaking of academic, academia and quarantine, Isaac Newton, when he was in, when he was in, I'm sure you might have seen these, these articles shared around, but uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna repeat it. But Isaac Newton, when when he was in um, quarantine, when um, I forget what yeah, what was going around at that time, but uh, he came up with um, optics, um, calculus, and a theory of gravity during this time quarantine. Like, that was a pretty productive productive um, uh, time there. Kind of crazy. Yeah, one summer... Didn't you work at the pool one summer, John? I did. John worked at the pool one summer, and uh, Isaac Newton, over one quarantine stretch, created the foundation of many different uh, academic studies, academic fields. All right, well, okay, let's let's not let's not be sucking off Isaac Newton too much, but you know, I mean, he did he did hide away like like a little bitch, you know, from the bubonic plague. You know, I, I just want to point that out. I believe it was the plague. Was that a? a, a, a it must have been. You know, you got to take the bubonic plague head on like a man. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> like you know, you got to you got to take it on like what those people that were just like whipping each other out in the streets. They're like, this will the save flagellants. us. Yeah, flagellants. Like this is gonna work. And, like, <laughs> I like our chances. <laughs> you know, like I mean, you're like one of those celebrities nowadays that are just like my freedoms outweigh your guys's health. Like, thanks, Evangeline Lilly. I don't <laughs> like you anymore. <laughs> guys, I could discuss physics, philosophy, Newton's pussy mentality <laughs> with the quarantine. Yeah. But let's uh, let's reel every let's reel big fish, reel everything back in here. Uh, try and come full circle on the pod and uh, talk about our favorite aspects of the show. Um, usually we do like either favorite songs or favorite um, scenes. This being a show, I didn't want to try and limit it to favorite episodes. So I'm just basically thinking about favorite kind of what's your favorite part of the series? It could be a character. It could be a character decision. Could be could be a scene. Could be a kind of plot line. Um, so, John, you can start things off. I'll go second. And, Dylan, you'll finish us off. John, what is your favorite thing about uh, the Avatar? Ooh, favorite thing. That's tough. I mean, I think I talked about it a little earlier, but I really love the character Uncle Iroh. I, I really, I really yeah. do. He's, he's there the whole time. I just think he's... He's there. He's always there for comedic purposes. You know, you need a little break from the seriousness that the show can get. He's there. He's there to talk about tea, get a massage, something like that. But then when when the going gets tough, there's nobody else I'd want out there outside of Aang than Uncle Iroh. He is just he he he's just a badass. Like he's able to relax and then save ass in like the final scene. I think what really the final episode of season one, one of my favorite episodes, if not my favorite, but uh. He just comes in and he's like, he just starts taking out General Zhao, who's like the main villain of that series. He's just like, I'm better than you. And he's just like, as General Zhao goes to hurt the yin and the yang, he's just like, you do whatever you do to them, you're getting tenfold. I'm like, oh, 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 wow. Like, this is the general of the army. This guy's like number two in command and you are threatening him with that. I just think, I really, I really enjoy his whole character plot and then this whole raising and like making Zuko a better person throughout the, throughout the entirety of the show. Yeah, and I think like I think that 
that kind of a character where it's like the part comedic, but also part very, very serious underlying, very, very tough to execute well because you run the risk of him falling too easily into either camp, mm-hmm. like only being serious or only being comedic relief. He does a great job. I kind of liken him, Dylan, I don't know if this is a perfect analogy, but I liken him to in Shippuden, the uh, pervy sensei. Oh, yeah. I kind of like yeah, 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 I kind of like it. It's like more well-rounded character, perhaps, but continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think you're definitely right. But I was just thinking of someone who has that comedic relief, but also has that power. So that yeah. was kind of I think Eero does a great job of that and the way they develop his character. Yeah, I mean, it's just like because like you, you'll have like ten or whatever episodes straight of him being goofball, and you're like, I right, he's a goof, and then just you'll have one episode where he just goes off, and you're like, never mind, I wouldn't mess with the guy, you know? Yeah. But will my turn. The floor is yours. I, I will take the floor and I will occupy it and and dissertate. Dissertate. Um, I think one of my favorite things. This could I could do. I can make this as broad or narrow as possible. So I think I'll start out broad and then get a little more narrow. Uh, I think it's Katara's. Uh, I think it's her her arc as a hero. And I mean, we talked about this early in the pod, but her arc as a kind of proto feminist heroine figure. Uh, who kind of has to deal with these kind of preconceived notions people have of her all throughout the series and how she perseveres, even in the face, especially one episode comes in particular, in the face of her getting completely frustrated with the fact that Aang is learning waterbending better than she is. She doesn't have a teacher. She's teaching herself how to waterbend. And uh, I think her development is one of my favorite parts of the series. In particular, I'm thinking of towards the end of season one, where they go, I believe, from the South Pole to the North Pole. End of season one, they start out in the South and they go to the North. They go to the North Pole. Yeah, to meet one of the master uh, waterbenders. And the waterbender initially refuses to teach Katara anything because she's a woman and he doesn't respect her. She, she kind of proves herself, one, through showing how tough she is and how bad and battling, but two, also realizing, I think, I think two, by revealing that she is the granddaughter of uh, the master waterbender's uh, crush. I can't remember if it was wife or crush, but was, there was a connection there where Katara was related to someone who the uh, master waterbender had kind of scurried off in a similar way by being sexist and not appreciating uh, the elder uh, woman's skills, who is mm-hmm. Katara's relative. And that the older waterbender realizes this and sees the sees how he's aired in his like sexist ways and pushed off one, someone he really cares about, and now is about to push off a young pupil like Katara, who is so promising and so tough, uh, and then eventually relents into teaching her more about waterbending. She continues to blossom as a waterbender. Her arc is just phenomenal. It's the kind of character development that you are shocked to see from any sort of, I guess, TV show in this period, let alone a children's show. Uh, It did a phenomenal job. Hats off to the creators and the writers on that. I think they did a phenomenal job. And she, yeah, she just comes across as probably, I mean, in my mind, I think she's the strongest character in the series, but she, at the very least, objectively comes across as one of the strongest characters. That, I think, is my favorite part of Avatar. Yeah, the whole relationship between her and uh, Sokka and her and Aang and all that stuff, you just she's she's very central. She, she's, she's dope. I mean, it's just simple as that. She gets, I mean, like you said, you explained it very well. And I, I, I'd have to agree. She, she's one of the strongest characters, if not the strongest. Obviously, it's hard to go against Aang because Aang, I think, 
throughout this series, you just see he has oh, to... Oh, what, the airbender? Yeah. In the show <laughs> called <laughs> Avatar The Last... Well, like, I'm just saying, like, he... I just think he has... You just look at the struggle. I think that's a little thing that gets doesn't get enough like light is the struggle that Aang has to go through throughout the three seasons. Like he he does not have it easy. He does not have it. He does not have it easy. So I think that'd be like that's why the only reason why she wouldn't be the strongest character is because it's the main character. You know, the protagonist of the series. I will relent. Yes, Dylan, take us home. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to talk about Uncle Iroh. I, I think he's definitely one of the most, like, he provides sort of, uh, like, curvy samurai, like, um, you could relate to the show, but uh, speaking of, like, the show, bringing so many different, like, dimensions to character, and really just sort of playing this role of comparative, and one of my really favorite moments in the show is this innocent policy episode, the girl boss, the boss next day, um, and again, I think it's sort of this really, like, actually tragic story um, associated with Uncle. on earlier you could call that episode or at least the parts of that episode filler just because it's not advancing the strict plot but it's anything but actual filler in terms of what you learn about Eero and just how yeah how poignant that episode is I think that's that's just a great example of how like you said this is this could be a wacky funny regular kid show but it's moments like that that really strip down the characters and provide some real great human human moments in an animated kids show. And I think that's why John and I were so excited to talk about this on the podcast, because it is something, it is a kids show you can get excited about talking about when you're a 20 something. And that's so rare. And I think that you guys both talked about Eero and how Eero is a great character. Eero exemplifies that perfectly and all of the characters and i think like i think you know my example um katara she exemplifies it very very well as well just in the way she is this proto-feminist kind of character uh it is such a delight to go back i can't wait to you know i'm so glad because this podcast has really kind of spurred me to watch more of avatar and dig a little bit deeper into the series and you know become more familiar with the finer points and the second watch I feel like of the show is going to be awesome. Just picking up on things because it is, it was made so intricately and so delicately that uh, it just, it just makes me feel good talking about it. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it's like you said, I'm, I'm trying to think of the other shows that like as a kid that you can watch now. I mean, I, I really outside. I talked about it earlier. Clone Wars is one that I would say. But outside, but this is really like the premiere. Like this, you can watch it no matter how old you are. It 
probably is going to mean something to you still. Yeah. Wow. 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 Guys, thank you so much for working on the podcast today. Great revisiting, not only a children's classic, but a true television and animated series classic. Uh, Dylan, thanks so much for calling in. Awesome suggestion and great job. No problem. No problem. John, thank you so much. Yeah, as I mean, usual. I'm, I'm, I'm here. You know, <laughs> I don't really move much anymore. So exactly. Gonna, so I guess I'll see you next time. When we, I would, I would assume, and I believe our next guest is finally one of one of my pals. Your pals. One of my pals. One of the jokes on the podcast is that we were originally doing this to call in both of our friends, but yeah. so far we've gone through four straight tapings of just my friends. I just think it's mainly Will hogging the spotlight, but I mean, who oh, is it to, for me to say? But uh, no, we will have. Kevin White join us on our next Kevin podcast. White. Kevin White. It's the one and only. That's phenomenal. Well, can't wait to do it. Can't wait to bring more friends and more great cultural, you know, touchdowns to talk about. For Dylan and John, I'm Will signing off. Are you reeling in the years? Stowing away the time. Are you gathering up the tears? Have you had enough of mine? Are you reeling in the years? Stowing away the time Are you gathering up the tears? Have you had enough of mine?